Hello and welcome to the Collapse Experiment, where we discuss how things are just uh, swirling around in the old porcelain god. Yes, um, there are three things, three articles I have to go over today, but first I'm going to start with uh, one topic that came up this morning, although I've been hearing little snippets of it here and there uh, on various places of the internet. Um, <clears throat> Let me let me get this clear. It's Palestine, not Palestine. Okay? Yeah. This is kind of like anybody that has the last name of Weinstein or Weinstein, although it's it's spelled differently, right? Now, if you saw East Palestine on a map, how are you going to pronounce it with the way that it's spelled? However, um, it's been pointed out that the locals are getting a little... Um, irritated, they're offended that people are not pronouncing the name of their city right. Do you want this story covered at all? Or are you just going to complain as, as some reporter who's standing there with a microphone saying, yeah, here at East Palestine where all these chemicals are floating in the water and birds and animals are dying and the people are sick as hell. Do you want them to not cover it because they didn't say the name of your town right? I think with the way that the news cycle is these days, with as short of an attention span as Americans have already, I mean, you're lucky that FEMA even reversed their decision to show up, even though they're probably not going to do a hell of a lot of good. Let's be honest here. I remember Katrina happening. For one, FEMA didn't show up. Two, when they did show up, all, what did they do? They just moved everybody out to various parts of the countries, and a lot of those people never returned home. That was that was what FEMA did. Oh, and they also put people into what mobile homes with uh, asbestos. They were never designed to be actually lived in for long periods of time, and people were getting sick from that as well. So yeah, um, you're lucky that the attention span of people is long enough to reverse FEMA's decision for one two, you're lucky that people are still covering this because uh, who knows what other BS is going to happen that all of a sudden the focus is going to change. Hey, look, squirrel, squirrel. Yeah. Um, so this, this has been coming up. Uh, it's East Palestine, not Palestine. Focus on what's important. If you really want something done, stop being a bitchy little liberal. And I don't even think it's the uh, the locals that are complaining about this. I think it's just other people who are trying to artificially sympathize with what is happening. I understand wanting to sympathize. Don't take the focus off of what is important. Now, having said that, let's get on to uh, other news, the stuff that could be surpassing the importance of what is happening in East Palestine within the uh, mainstream media. Florida Surgeon General warns life-threatening VAERS reports up to 4,400% since uh, the uh, jab rollout. <clears throat> I think this might be related to what Martin from Over a Pipe was speaking about last night on my uh, live stream. This is from uh, Chris Nelson, the Epoch Times. Um, I'm sorry, did I pronounce that wrong too? Is it Epic? Is it Epoch? I think they just would rather have somebody reading their stuff and 
building subscribers than complaining about the pronunciation. Let's move on. Florida Surgeon General uh, Joseph Latipo uh, was surrounded was sounding the alarm about a 4,400% increase in life-threatening conditions reported in the state to the um, Jab Adverse uh, Events Reporting System, VAERS, uh, since 2021 rollout of the jab. You know, the jab, not a jab, the jab. Uh, in a letter dated February 15th, Latipo asked the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to promote transparency and healthcare professionals to accurately communicate the risk of these jabs. VAERS, co-managed by the FDA and CDC, documents reports of injuries and conditions related to jabs. In Florida alone, we saw a 1,700% in increase in reports after the release of the jab compared to an increase of 400% in jab administration for the same period. Okay, Latipo's letter reads, the reporting of life-threatening conditions increased 4,400%. Even the H1N1 jab did not trigger this type of response. In 2009, during the H1N1 vaccine campaign, 1,358 reports were made to the VAERS system in Florida. I ended up getting that jab because I had a, uh, a job that did, did not believe in body autonomy. Um, they felt like I was property and they said either you get this or you lose your job. In 2009. This was the booster shot. Remember? Yeah, because the, the flu wasn't, uh, they, they picked the wrong strains of the virus for the flu that year. So that first shot didn't do jack. And then they came out with a booster that also had the H1N1 in it. After the COVID-19 jab campaign in 2021, 41,473 reports of adverse reactions were made to theirs. In this letter, Latipo cites a study on the website of the National Institute of Health, serious adverse events of special interest following the jab, that jab uh, in randomized trials in adults. The study lists documented reactions including, uh, let's see here, coagulation disorders, I don't know what that means, acute cardiac injuries, yes, we know what that is, Bell's palsy, and encephalitis. To claim these jabs are safe and effective while minimizing and disregarding the event, the adverse events is unconscionable. Warning to Floridians, in addition to the letter, Florida Department of Health has issued a health alert related to the safety of the jab. The state surgeon general is notifying the healthcare sector and public of substantial increase in jab reporting systems um, from Florida after jab rollout. VAERS relies on healthcare professionals and individuals to report adverse reactions, but some have worried that findings have been downplayed by the media and even censored by big tech. Yeah, so uh, this doesn't appear to be related to what um, Overpipe sent me yesterday. 
but um, there's definitely a correlation here between what he was pointing out and what uh, Florida is uh, now reporting. So very, very interesting. And uh, moving on to other subjects, Inside China's Military Balloon Program. And this is by Eva Fu uh, of the Epoch Times. Years before, a gigantic white spy balloon from China captured America's attention. A top Chinese aerospace scientist was keenly tracking the path of an unmanned airship making its way across the globe. On a real-time map, the white blimp appears as a blinking red dot, although in real-life size it is formidable, weighing several tons and measuring 320 feet, or 1,000 meters, in length, about 80 feet long, about 80 feet longer than a Boeing 747, one of the largest passenger aircraft in the world. Look, here's America, the vessel's chief architect, Wu Ji, uh, told the state-run newspaper Nanfang Daily. He excitedly pointed to a red line marking the airship's journey at about 65,000 feet in the air, noting that in 2019 the flight was setting a world record. Now, keep in mind, at uh, 65,000 feet, that is 5,000 feet higher than an aircraft would be able to intercept it. Uh, there is... Uh, well, this is a uh, illustration of Cloud Chaser. I guess they named it Cloud Chaser. Uh, it looks like a blimp, and it does have a payload suspended underneath. Wu, a veteran aerospace researcher, has played a key role in advancing the Chinese regime in what it describes as a near-space race, referring to the layer of the atmosphere sitting between 12 and 62 miles above the Earth. This region, which is too high for jets, but too low for satellites, had been deemed ripe for exploration in the regime's bid to achieve military dominance. Yes, and I had people calling me stupid for being concerned about the balloon. Despite having existed for decades, the regime's military balloon program came into the spotlight recently when the United States shot down a high-altitude surveillance balloon. Yes, we know all about this. The U.S. and Canada militaries have taken, has since taken down three flying objects over North American airspace, although President Joe Biden on February 16th said they are likely linked to private companies. I wonder if there's going to be any type of uh, monetary compensation for that. I doubt it. Wu is turning 66 this month. He has ties to at least four of the six Chinese entities Washington recently sanctioned for supporting Beijing's sprawling military balloon program, which the U.S. administration said has reached over 40 countries and five, on five continents. Uh, as a specialist in aircraft design, Wu has helped develop the Chinese regime's homegrown fighter jets and stealth technology during his more than three decades in the aerospace field, taking home at least one award for his contribution to the military. Because remember, he is uh, probably a member of the party. Uh, he is the vice president of Baihang University in Beijing, a prestigious state-run aeronautics school. Until he voluntarily gave up his title for teaching and research in 2004, he once served on the Scientific Advisory Committee for the People's Liberation Army. Told ya. 
General Armaments Department, a now dissolving agency in charge of equipping the Chinese military. Public records show that Wu was well-connected in the aerospace field with stakes in many aviation firms. He is the chairman of Beijing-based Eagles Men Aviation Science, one of the six firms that, along with its branch in Shangxi, Washington has named as culprits in the balloon sanctions. Yeah, because our sanctions on a uh, country like China with their economy is really going to do jack. Both Baihang and Harbin Institute of Technology, Wu's alma mater, dubbed China's MIT, are on a U.S. trade blacklist. <gasps> and former, the former in aiding China's military rocket and unmanned airspace, air vehicle systems, and later for using U.S. technology to support Chinese missile programs. And let's see here, Silent Killer. The Chinese Communist Party has long vied for dominance in near space, which Chinese scientists see as a region for a variety of applications from high-altitude balloons to hypersonic missiles. Yes, some technology that um, we are lacking on. We don't have those. From high above, there's a wealth of information that an aerostat equipped with electro... Electronic surveillance system can can intercept and turn into an intelligence asset. If you're flying a balloon that is 100,000 feet up in the air, you've got visibility on the ground of hundreds and hundreds of miles over several states because it's up to because it's up too high, up so high. Uh, Art Thompson, co-founder of California aerospace company Sage Cheshire Aerospace. During his three decades in the aerospace industry, Thompson has worked on the B-2 stealth bomber and was technical director for the Red Bull Stratos project that broke the record for the highest balloon flight and largest manned balloon that we know of. I'm pretty sure China's not going to brag about breaking any records with uh, this uh, technology that was is no longer top secret. Whether it's phone data radio data, transmissions from air, aircraft, as to what the airplanes are, who owns it, all that data is available. As early as the 1970s, efforts are underway at the state-run Chinese Academy of Sciences to explore high-altitude balloons. According to a state media report lacking the aid of computers, Chinese researchers drew inspiration from German and Japanese aerospace books and cut up newspapers to piece together prototypes. Yeah. The result is a helium balloon with an aluminum basket, altogether about the size of a typical hot air balloon. The team triumphantly named it Happy and flew it into the stratosphere in 1983 to observe signals from a neutron star. So this has been going on for quite a long time. For the Chinese military, there is high strategic value in aerostats, a technology that was in use as early as the late 1700s by French as outlooks. Yeah, um, it wasn't uncommon in Europe. I think they also used them during the Civil War. They would use hot air balloons to look over a battlefield and then communicate to generals as to what they were seeing from uh, uh, their viewpoint. Um, this was... This was groundbreaking at the time. Compared to airplanes or satellites, balloons are cheaper and easier to maneuver, can carry heavier payloads, and cover a wider area, and are harder to detect. 
Two regular columnists wrote in 2021 article for PLA Daily, the Chinese military's official newspaper. They consume less energy, allowing them to loiter in an, a targeted area for an extended period, and critically, they are often not caught by radars. So they can easily evade an enemy's airspace system or be classified as UFOs. Yeah. But, um... Nothing to worry about. Nope. <laughs> Nothing to see here. It's all just a big joke. Um, they didn't even go into the military capabilities of uh, these, aside from just having a, a better view of a wide range area, um, not being able to be touched by uh, by conventional fighter jets, Um yeah, they they basically have their own airspace above ours. So while we're working on the F-22s, um, this is something, it's cheap, it's affordable, and it can't be touched unless it drops in altitude. So um, is this something we should be worried about? Yes. <laughs> uh, moving on to another story. Remember, if you have any questions, post it in the chat. Whitney, a U.S.-led coalition of the willing, foreshadows the splintering of NATO. Yes, the, the coalition of the willing. Does anybody remember this? We, we went into a, a country called Iraq under false pretenses, and we couldn't get our, all of our allies to back us, so we just called it the coalition of the willing. And gradually, over time, those willing participants were not so willing to stay there. We even had the Japanese there. Uh, goes against their constitution. Uh, they weren't allowed to act in any combat roles. But the Japanese were there. Weird. The destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline was a gangster act that reveals the cancer at the heart of the rules-based order. Now, now Biden's a gangster. Okay, I don't know if that's supposed to be flattering or just show like how corrupt the uh, regime is. How can there be peace and security when the world's most powerful nation can destroy the critical infrastructure of other countries without deliberation or judicial proceedings? They're just now complaining about this? This has been going on for a long time. If Hersh's report can be trusted, and I think it can, then we must assume that senior-level advisors in the Biden administration, as well as the president himself, deliberately perpetrated an act of industrial terrorism against a long-term friend and ally, Germany. I think Germany was told about this beforehand because Biden met with the chancellor of Germany. I believe it's chancellor. Prime minister. Let's just call him the president. Uh, and then right after that meeting, he announced that Nord Stream would be gone if Russia invaded Ukraine. So I'm thinking that they had a heads up on this. What Biden's involvement in the act implies is that the United States now claims the right to arbitrarily decide which countries may engage in commerce with other countries. And if, for some reason, the buying and selling of energy supplies conflicts with Washington's broader geopolitical objectives, then the U.S. believes it has the right to obliterate the infrastructure that makes up such trade that makes such trade possible. Isn't this the rationale that was used to justify blowing up Nord Stream? This is the rationale for a lot of things that the United States has done. Seymour Hirsch. 
has done the world a service by exposing the perpetrators of the Nord Stream sabotage. His expose not only identifies the people involved, but also infers that they should be held accountable for their actions. But while we don't expect any thorough investigation in the near future, we do think the magnitude of the attack has been a wake-up call for people who cling to the belief that the unipolar model can produce morally acceptable outcomes. What the incident shows is the unilateral action inevitability inevitably leads to criminal violence against the weak and defenseless. I wouldn't consider Russia weak and defenseless. I think that's an overgeneralization there. Biden's covert operation hurt every man, woman, and child in Europe. It's a real tragedy. There's a quote from a recent interview with Hirsch. I think the story has has the same potential for destroying the ability of our president to re- rally Americans behind people behind this war because it shows something that is so dark and so un-American. You know, this isn't us. We're not talking about us. This is a bunch of intelligence officers and CIA people. Um, I think Seymour Hirsch might just be naive as to what's been going on for decades now. Uh, let's see here. Seymour Hirsch, whom the war media now wants to smear for exposing Biden's active environmental and energy security, hashtag terrorism, represents the best of journalism in the U.S., having exposed U.S. crimes like the Miley, Miley, Miley massacre in Vietnam and the torture in Abu Ghraib prison. Yeah, so... He's done quite a bit, and I'm surprised this guy's still around. So I don't know if he's, like, hanging out with the Amish or, like, how uh, he keeps himself safe. But this guy's revealed quite a bit that they don't want released. And um, this is just another another nail in the coffin. I'm just going to say, Seymour Hirsch did not uh, Epstein himself. He's right, he isn't. Uh, The Biden administration has vastly miscalculated the impact these revelations will have on the public. The reputational damage alone is going to be immense, but they will also be used as the prism through which many critics see the war. Yeah. In fact, there are signs that uh, may already be happening. On Sunday, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Sergei Levrov confirmed that the real objective of Washington's war was not simply to weaken Russia and eventually splinter it into small pieces, but to force a split between Germany and Russia. Here's what he said on Saturday. So, yeah, um, Germany, because of their reliance on cheap energy from Russia, would be less likely to help the Ukrainians. So, um, yeah, we have a military air, air base in Germany that's obviously helping with supply lines in Ukraine. Um, but, yeah, there's now talk of uh, booting Americans out of Germany, which uh, that's going to hurt Ukraine. Good job, Biden. According to Lavrov, the U.S. decided that Russia and Germany cooperated too well over the past 20 to 30 years, establishing a powerful alliance based on Russian resources and German technology. That began to threaten the monopoly position of many American corporations. Therefore, it was necessary to somehow ruin it and do it literally. Keep in mind, we also said we're going to do this. 
there's an aspect here that's related to the fact that friendship between countries, national recon, recon, ugh, reconciliation between them, as it happened between Russians and Germans, has become an eyesore for those who don't want anyone to appear somewhere on this planet who will compete with the main he hegemon, uh, which the U.S. has declared itself to be. So yeah, and then there's a link to the actual uh, article where Lavrov is saying all this. And uh, Lavrov is, is not wrong. Like, it's amazing that um, Germany and Russia were able to... Um, build any type of even economic bind um, after World War II. Granted, it's been a while, but uh, there's still some animosity there on both sides. Lavrov's comments reinforce our own view that the conflict was concocted by Washington's foreign policy experts who realized that the German-Russia economic integration posed a serious threat to America's dominant role in the global order. That is why Nord Stream became the primary target of U.S. aggression. We said it multiple times. <clears throat> the two continents and drew them closer together into an economic commons that would eventually become the world's biggest free trade zone. This is what Washington feared most, and that is why Biden and company took such desperate steps to prevent the strengthening of economic relations between Germany and Russia. In short, Nord Stream had to be destroyed because Nord Stream marked the end of the unipolar world order. The moment that Russia went into Ukraine, um, they were defying us. Not just Ukraine, but... Um, and it wasn't even NATO. Ukraine's not even part of NATO, so it just doesn't, um, this is clearly a U.S. agenda, not a NATO agenda. Instead of expanding on his belabored theory, let's take a minute to see uh, if we can figure out something about Hirsch's shadowy source of information. Allow me to frame it in the form of a question. Why did Seymour Hirsch source provide him with detailed top secret information about the Biden administration sabotage of Nord Stream pipeline perhaps because it was illegal i mean obviously this person is a whistleblower uh, the source is a kremlin stooge who wanted to subvert the war effort and inflict serious damage on the united states do you think he used the kremlin uh, the source is an american hating commie who loathes democracy and freedom but the people in power are commies, so that doesn't fit. Uh, the source is an adrenaline junkie who enjoys putting himself, his family, his career, and his freedom at risk. Well, I mean, perhaps? I mean, we're seeing this with the FBI, too, outing, like, FBI policies and stuff. And, um, I mean, they don't seem to be adrenaline junkies. They just want to do the right thing. The source is a concerned American who thought that revealing information about the destruction of Nord Stream would prevent the neocons from leading the country into a catastrophic war with Russia. I'm going to go with D. I'm, I'm thinking it's D. And this person probably has a big D. So uh, if you choose D, then pat yourself on the back because that is the right answer. <laughs> okay, I have not read this before. No one in their right mind would take the risk that Hirsch's source took unless they felt the country was in grave danger. Because it is. And keep in mind that we might not even know 
what that what uh, what that danger is yet. They did not edit this a while. What that what that literally that's what it says. Danger is yet since we don't know what the future escalations of the neocons is planning. For example, it could be that U.S. plans to already underway to deliver F-16s long-range missile systems that would be used to strike deeper into Russian territory. This is already in the works, right? When they say that they're not going to do something, like we're giving them Abram tanks now, and previously Biden said we're not giving them Abram tanks. That would that would be a declaration of war. So he declared war on, I mean, he already did, right? Let's just be honest here. It could be that the neocons want to detonate a nuclear device in Ukraine as part of a false flag operation. That's been brought up several times. Or it could be that Biden plans to organize a coalition of the willing. Yeah, that worked out well for Bush. Actually, it did work out well for Bush. We did go in Iraq. We were there for a long extended period of time. We created ISIS. Wait, no, that was that was kind of a bad thing. <laughs> uh, UK, Poland, Romania that will fight alongside U.S. special forces in combat operations in eastern Ukraine. I believe U.S. special forces are already there. I I think it's already been confirmed. Like we're not we're not in a combat role, but we're advisors. That's how it always starts out. Any of these developments represent a serious escalation in the hostilities which would increase the probability of a direct clash with nuclear-armed Russia. In Joe Biden's own words, that's what you call World War III. Yeah, he said that. And he's still doing this. This is all still happening. He's right. It would be World War III, which might explain why Hirsch's source summoned the courage to provide the author with the damning information about Nord Stream he might have believed that the world was on a fast track to nuclear annihilation, so he risked his own life for ours. No greater love hath any man. So, yeah, um, I firmly believe that whoever Hirsch's source is, is like, this is freaking nuts, and uh, we can't keep going in this direction. <clears throat> and the source is not the only person who put himself at risk here. Hirsch would face charges as well. In fact, it would argue that if Hirsch was not as widely respected as he is, he would probably be sharing a cell with Julian Assange right now. After all, what is the difference between what Assange did and what Hirsch did? Yeah, you cannot be an actual real journalist these days unless you are promoting the uh, propaganda of the state. Uh, you're viewed as a threat even though your job is to question authority. Not much except for the fact that Hirsch's stellar reputation makes him untouchable. We hope. I don't believe that. Look at James Gordon Meek. Look at all the work that this man has done. And now he is um, sitting in a jail cell for allegedly um, being in possession of um, certain things we can't talk about on the internet. Which is funny, because they had Meek's um, property, his laptop. Um, I believe they also took some uh, thumb drives, external hard drives. They had this material for over nine months, and it took them that long to find what they were looking for. They initially said he was in possession of classified information, which doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense considering he's a journalist and as long as he himself did not steal such information, he's allowed to have it. 
So that doesn't justify the raid. But that was, keep in mind, I believe that was what was on the warrant that was um, uh, signed off by, uh, I believe it was, was it West Virginia court? Yeah, they, they completely bypassed um, rules <clears throat> that were put in place by the Biden administration in order to go after Meek. Not surprised there. But uh, Seymour Hirsch, this guy's been around a, a, a while. Perhaps because he's been around for so long, you're like, well, we can't accuse him of being this bef now because he would have been since Vietnam. <laughs> and as for Meek, they've been in possession of his stuff for how long now? And you're going to tell me that uh, there wasn't any tampering with, uh, with his stuff. Um, I don't believe it. In any event, if the motive behind the article is to prevent nuclear Armageddon, then we are very grateful for their bravery and selflessness. Even so, there might have been other motives driving the article, which are worth our consideration. Let's imagine for a minute that Hirsch's source has information concerning the neocons' plans for the near future. In other words, it is quite possible that the sabotage of Nord Stream alone was not the main impetus for Hirsch's report, but some other sinister plan on the horizon, that is a military escalation that would trigger a catas catastrophe or unprecedented severity. You have strong hours. <laughs> uh, yes, it's working so well for me. I have, oh, oh, it did say two viewers. It did say two. It's back to two. Wow, I have two viewers. <laughs> so I, I must have picked the right hours. Um. As we said earlier, such a plan might involve F-16s and long-range missile systems, HIMARS, yes, we've already supplied HIMARS to Ukraine, or a nuclear false flag operation that could, uh, or it could be that Biden will organize a coalition of the willing that will fight alongside U.S. blah, 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 blah. They've already said this. I don't like how reporters tend to repeat themselves in articles. Uh it would put the U.S. on track for another world war, which is what the neocons want. Unfortunately, I suspect that this is the most probable near-term scenario. The forming of a U.S.-backed coalition organized to directly engage Russia and Ukraine. Here's a statement from the press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, uh, on Biden's travel to Poland. Uh Good morning, Dance Dad Piper. I am not familiar with your name. Can, thank you for uh, for coming. Uh, <laughs> I will have to check out your channel. Anybody who can dance with a pipe—that's a talent. That—that's a talent I've never seen. Let's see here. This is from February twentieth to the twenty-second. President Joseph R. Biden Jr. Jr will travel to Poland. He will meet with President uh, Duda of Poland to discuss our bilateral cooperation as well as our collective efforts to support Ukraine and bolster NATO's d deterrence. He will also meet with the leaders of the Bukras 9, a group of our eastern flank NATO allies, to reaffirm the United States' unwavering support for the security of the alliance. In addition, the President President Biden will deliver remarks ahead of the, of the one-year anniversary of Russia's brutal and unprovoked invasion of unprovoked. I love how they keep saying unprovoked. 
invasion of Ukraine, addressing how the United States has rallied the world to support the people of Ukraine as they defend their freedom and democracy. They one of the highestly ranked corrupt political systems in the world. Like, okay. And we will continue to stand with the people of Ukraine for as long as it takes. They're your cannon fodder. Um, they have a horrible government. Um, it's just, this whole thing is just completely insane other than um, our our political worldwide PP size is smaller than we, we thought it was. Um, and we're very insecure about that. Our, our government, I shouldn't say we, um, I'm very comfortable with mine. Um, <laughs> our government's uh, very, very insecure about our abilities when it comes to, um, yes. Let's see here. As it says in the official statement, Biden will not merely talk to the Polish president about collective efforts to support Ukraine, but will also discuss U.S.-Polish bilateral cooperation as well. Keep in mind, we are creating military bases in Poland as we speak. Uh, we do have the 101st Airborne on the ground there. That's still a thing. Uh, but what type of bilateral cooperation does Biden want besides more weapons? Combat troops? Is that what Biden is looking for? Coalition boots on the ground to make up for Ukraine's heavy casualties? Here's an article from a website called Notes from Poland that announces a sharp uptick in Polish recruitment goals. Not surprisingly, the article does not explain the reason why Poland intends to more than double the size of its army within a year's time. Yeah... Up to 200,000 people can be called up for military exercises in Poland next year. Wait, so they're not looking for recruits. They're saying can be called up. That's, uh, I believe we have another word for that. Including some who have never put their names forward for service, but are deemed to have useful skills. The exercise can last up to 90 days and failure to attend is punishable by jail or fine. Yeah, Poland's doing a draft. They're drafting people. The pool of people who can be called up are those age 55 and under. I need to age really fast. <laughs> I'm, I'm a decade under this number, and I can see this coming to the United States. Um, and under who have been through so-called military qualification, which is compulsory for all men turning 19. Yeah, we just fill out a card and send it in. Otherwise, we go to jail. Um, they actually go through some type of qualification process, regardless of whether they join or not. And during which the candidate's health category and fitness for military service are determined. Poland will increase defense spending to 3% of the GDP next year, one of the highest levels in NATO, to protect itself from vicarious imperial Russia. 3%. Our military budget is, what, more than half of our G... Uh, yeah, it's... This is why we are the primary fighting force in NATO. Trump pointed this out. I'm not a huge Trump fan, but at the same time, it's like he kind of knew what was up. And if we got involved in this, it was primarily on us because we had the budget and the means to do something. Uh, its new Homeland Defense Act will also 
more than double homeland defense, okay, double the number of troops serving in the armed forces. Since 2009, Poland has compulsory military service for men, but that was scrapped in favor of a full professional army. However, in recent years, the growing threat of Russia has pushed the government to seek an increase in size and strength of the armed forces. In 2017, a new territorial defense force was established. So it went from homeland defense to territorial defense. What is that territory? Does that go beyond their borders? This year's Homeland Defense Act foresees a doubling in the size of the armed forces, but from the current 1,400. 143,500 troops. Are we expected to dismiss the sudden expansion of the Polish military as a mere coincidence, or is it more likely that a deal has already been made with Washington regarding future troop deployments to Ukraine? Yeah, this isn't just Poland. This is elsewhere. I'm guaranteeing there's more countries that are doing things like this. According to the White House statement, Biden will also meet with the leaders of the Bucharest Nine, which is a group, again, they're repeating themselves. It's almost like they did a draft and then they just clicked and pasted certain things into this article. All members of the B9 are part of the NATO. I don't know why it says dot, dot, dot NATO and have been critical of the President Vladimir Putin's aggression against Ukraine since 2014. Oh, 2014, when U.S. um, mercenaries helped overthrow the democratically elected government of Ukraine to implement a former porn star slash comedian TV star as their president. That weird aggression? Okay. Uh, Since last year, NATO adopted its strategic concept in which all allies agreed that the Russian Federation is the most significant and direct threat to ally security and to peace and stability in the Euro-Atlantic area. Now, at the road to the Vilnius summit, we should make sure that the the alliance is fully prepared uh, to face this threat. An army of Russophobes. Is that what they want to create? It sure looks like it. So, yeah, uh, this is actually quite an extensive article. I hate to say it, we're only like halfway through it. But the point is, um, Biden is definitely, it's not necessarily NATO. Uh, And I think with this news coming out about what happened with Germany... Um, there's a very good possibility. Um, we're going to have to rely on other other countries. Uh, Germany seems to be um, a little pissed. Uh, maybe they didn't get a heads up as to this happening. Thankfully, they had a milder winter than what was expected. But um, yeah, uh, Biden clearly put Germans at risk uh, just to make sure Germany would back Uh, some type of coalition offensive in Ukraine, supplying weapons. Um, As we know now, Germany is going to be offering leopard tanks uh, to Ukraine. So, uh, and that was, that was another red line. Putin's been putting out a lot of red lines as to what exactly could happen in Ukraine. And we're just like, oh, another line. And we just 
freaking leap on over it. Um, but that was one thing that came up was if we see German tanks in Ukraine, um, it's all at war with NATO. Um, and who knows? Uh, this Seymour Hirsch article could very possibly reverse that decision in Germany that they're just not going to supply things. There was already talk about kicking um, the U.S. out of Germany. So, um, yeah, perhaps. Uh, I know that Afghanistan is quite a long ways away, but there was that air base there that we just... Uh, middle of the night, cowered out of... Um, Perhaps we should have kept that. But, um, yeah, there's there's a good possibility that something like Rammstein could just um, no longer be ours. All right. Follow the money. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of money to be made in this. And keep in mind, um, this is not Biden's first time profiting off of war. Uh, everybody likes to look back and say that Dick Cheney was the main profiteer from... Uh, the Iraq War with Halliburton, but once, oh, oh Biden, <laughs> once uh, Obama came into office, um, it was uh, Joe Biden's brother, his company that took over all the contracts that Halliburton previously had. So Biden profited from the war in Iraq while Obama was in office. And remember how uh, Obama kept saying like, oh, we're we're planning on leaving Iraq. And uh, it just, he had eight years and it just kept getting pushed further and further out. Um, who was profiting during that time? I seem to recall it was Biden. Um, so as for what is happening in Ukraine, obviously we know, we know for a fact, 100% Biden and his family have some, some serious connections in Ukraine. Uh, one of the most corrupt governments. Um uh, within Europe, Eurasia, depending on how you want to categorize it. Barack O'Biden. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Uh, and keep in mind, uh, a lot of this is really just a, a further push of the former Obama agenda. Um, when it comes to Obama, he, he did state that he'd like to have a third term where he's just in the basement wearing sweatpants and he's making all the shots, but somebody else is in power. Does that remind you of anybody else? I seem to remember there's some guy, man, was this like 10, 15 years ago? Cause they had a term limit in Russia. They had term limits in Russia and Putin had uh, already hit the term limits. And then there was this guy that came in and he he won the election in Russia, but everybody knew that Putin was still in charge. This guy would literally go to Putin and say, what should I do next? I have no idea. And then Putin would be like, this is what you do, you idiot. I, I am coming back into power. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to get into the international arms business. Uh, seems like a lot of money to be made at the moment. Okay, I, I do know a guy. Seriously, uh, this is not a joke, Timber Drifter. Um, I do know a guy who knows a guy. And what is currently happening, because I made a comment to him about how like he must be making a lot of money in Ukraine. And he said his policy 
Uh, if you ever have seen the Lord of War, you know, the merchant of death that we just handed over for a pot-smoking, lesbian, anti-American basketball player. Um, this guy, his policy instead is he deals, <clears throat> he deals with uh, countries, probably Poland, probably Germany, where uh, they are supplying weapons to Ukraine, but he doesn't deal directly with Ukraine. So he's out of the picture, even though he's definitely uh, in the picture. So this is something that's been going on. It's been going on for a long time. And if you're wondering how this whole arms deal works, uh, over the years, the U.S. will supply arms ammunition to different countries and they end up with this stockpile of stuff that just sits there and is not used so this guy and this is primarily given to these countries unless it's like a lend lease deal where it's like we'll give you this but you got to pay us back eventually and then usually the u.s government is just like eh, wipe away the debt we don't care uh, this guy comes in and at a discount a discounted discount <laughs> well buy up these arms and say, hey, I can take this off your hands. You're not using it anyways. And they're like, yeah, sure, we didn't pay for it. He gives them money, gets these weapons, and then that those weapons are transported to another country, which will then sell those arms or give those arms to a place like Ukraine. Um, and this is this is how indirectly we use private organizations, corporations to fund wars like this. Uh, what Fast and Furies and the Iraq pullout seems like a lot of American weapons handed out. Yes. And the other thing is the weapons that we're directly handing over to Ukraine, because the, the United States has been doing that for a while now, um, a lot of those are not ending up on the front lines. And that was something that... Uh, <clears throat> James Gordon Meek uh, pointed out early on that he, it was a retweet, but the guy knows what he was talking about. Um, he said very early on that, yeah, if we start supplying stuff to these people, um, because of the corruption, a lot of this stuff is not going to end up going to the front lines like it's supposed to. A lot of it's going to be shuffled here and there, sold. Uh, profits are going to be made. Wasn't it something like the the vice president of Ukraine's wife was like found in New York City with two hundred million dollars or something? Like, wasn't that a thing? <laughs> so, uh, let's see here. What other comments do we have? I like that there's comments in the chat here. Uh, fast and f <laughs> I'm reading this as fast and furries. <laughs> Are we sending furries over? Because that might scare Russians. Like <laughs> uh, the Iraq pullout. Um, yeah, that was not as big of a mess as uh, what we saw in Afghanistan. And I think that's another reason why they went after Meek. Meek was uh, uh, directly involved with Pineapple Express, which is what that was a complete embarrassment to the Pentagon and to the White House. Pineapple Express. Um, I really hope that they make a movie out of this. Unfortunately, it's going to be competing with a previous movie with a title of uh, uh, that nature. But um, there is a book. Uh, there is a book out there with that title. 
Uh, is all this just R&D for Lockheed? Uh, I think it's R&D for a lot of companies, not just Lockheed, uh, definitely anybody involved in the arms business. Um, I believe we're also shipping over uh, Bearcat-style uh, armored transport vehicles. Um, I can't stick around, unfortunately. Got to get to work. It's not all doom and gloom. I don't know what the positives are. <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom. There's got to be some positives. Uh, but there must be some. Y'all take care. Uh, thanks for stopping by, Timber Drifter. And um, yeah, is it just R&D for Lockheed? Uh, well, Lockheed, definitely, they, they found recently a, a new place to invest in. And that is the upper stratosphere. Uh, I would not be surprised if the U.S. is now trying to roll out their own um, balloon technology to be used. Um, of course, China also already said that there was an unidentified object flying over one of their ports and they believe that it was U.S. Uh, involved. So um, maybe we already have this. I don't know. But it doesn't seem to be as well advanced as what China uh, has already been tinkering with for decades now. Um, so yeah, um, any other profits that could be made from I from Ukraine? Yeah, it's just it's all over the place. And currently, the only the only people who are currently profiting from Ukraine seems to be U.S. Uh, U.S. companies. Uh, not really a whole heck of a lot when it comes to um, to NATO. I, I really don't see NATO profiting from any of this. It doesn't make any sense. So, um, yeah, uh, it seems to be just U.S. U.S. companies, corporations, U.S. politicians. And keep in mind, when it comes to um, the uptick of what we're handing over to Ukraine, our politicians know in advance as to what's happening, what's being produced, who's getting the contracts. And uh, there's this thing called insider trading, which is only legal, just because it's legal doesn't make it right, only legal for members of Congress to do. Quite frankly, most members of Congress should be in a cell just like Martha Stewart was, except they're more corrupt. She got a phone call and she made a decision. They deem that insider trading. These people negotiate the contracts that Lockheed Martin and McDonnell Douglas and all these other companies um, are involved in. And in the meantime, while sitting in these meetings, they're going onto their phones, contacting their stockbrokers and saying like, how much stock can you buy in this? So yeah, these people get paid six figures a year and they come out multi-millionaires in the, the nine digits. So yeah, it's not, let's see here, not doom and gloom, but keeping our eyes open and our minds sharp. Well, uh, didn't some people go to jail for taking documents out of the skiff in Washington? Mm, not yet. Not that I, I know of. Um, right, but not the ones in power. Um, I believe, who was it? I believe it was the person who who actually whistle blew on what was happening in Abu Ghraib and the uh, torture programs. He's the one that ended up in jail. 
and nobody else. I know that there are some court marshals, the the people who are actually in the photos that were released, but um, some guy stuffed documents down his pants. Oh, I'm not sure about that one. I will have to actually look that one up. Um, otherwise, um, the only thing that really comes to my mind is Snowden, and that was a USB uh, drive that he used. I believe... I believe he had a secret compartment on a coffee cup um, that he used every day. So, uh, oh, what about the sailor who was court-martialed for taking a picture and sending it to his family? That was BS. Well, there's a very good um, explanation for that. Anytime you take a photo on your cell phone, there's the metadata for that, that picture. And if you send it out, that metadata goes with it. Um, usually includes GPS coordinates for where that picture was taken. So when it comes to the liability of um, what we're doing uh, in real time, uh, if that image, it's shared, uh, if a family member posted on Facebook or whatever, and somebody like the CCP uh, looks at that photo, realizes that it's from a Navy um, a, a sailor, they now know where that ship is. Um, is it BS? Well, I think, um, there's a balance there. I think there's people just not being dumb. <laughs> uh, that could be a thing. I know that, uh, when it comes to men in combat, they're not supposed to bring their journals with them if they're keeping one. Um, the military at any time can also look at said journals to see if there's any classified information that they don't want, uh, being taken home. Uh, not saying that it's not a good reason, but these guys are between 18 and 20 years old, just kids. Um, perhaps we shouldn't be sending kids in the combat. Um, I mean, I'm making a great argument for why I would be drafted as opposed to some 18, 20 year old who likes to wear dresses and complains about the, uh, the patriarchy. Um, but yeah, perhaps 18, 20 year olds who definitely are not mature enough for social media, uh, the technology that we have these days, um, there's definitely, um, a fine line here as to, uh, what, sh what we should expect from these people, uh, especially when they're, um, uh, they're naive enough to sign up. That was something I can give myself credit for. Um, but if a politician takes classified documents home and nothing, especially sitting next to a cardboard box next to a convertible, I understand where you are coming from over a pipe. Um, it is insane that one former president has a room with a lock on it. Uh, as instructed by... Was it the DOJ? Was it the FBI? I forget. So yeah, he he had these documents. He knew he had these documents. And when they said this is unacceptable, he said, well, what if I put them in this room and secure them with this lock? By the way, you can have access to the key. And then they go and they raid his his one of his homes, cut the lock off, trying to make the argument that these were not secured. Um 
Meanwhile, they had access to the key, but these were different agents. Notice it was a different group of agents than who had um, been involved with the president prior to make sure that everything was legit with keeping said documents. But let's see here. Yeah, as for, for Biden, it's like this guy was, what, a senator forever? Um, then he became vice president for eight years, kind of uh, the new Dick Cheney. Um, and then all of a sudden he's president and documents that he he just took over the years, over several years, um, are just stored away in a garage. And they're trying to say that the garage was more secure than the room with the padlock that Trump had. Weird. And who prompted the National Archives to involve the DOJ? Um, yeah, that's that's also a double stand. I, I, mm, if double standards didn't exist, then yeah, clearly, clearly double standards. Um, and this has been going on for like I already pointed out, twenty years. It's not okay for Dick Cheney to profit from the war. It's okay for Biden to profit from the war. Nobody ever talked about that. Um, <clears throat> and if they were so against the war, why didn't we just pull out when, when Obama was in office? Why did it take several, several years? Um, why are they trying to blame Trump for what happened in East Palestine? Palestine, get it right. Uh, why are they blaming Trump for that? Saying that, like, well, he's the one that blah, blah, blah. When really, was it him? Like, Obama signed this this act in, this policy, trying to get these new brakes put on the trains at the very, very end of his administration. The guy had eight years, and he waited to the last minute to do this thing. If it was so important, wouldn't that be one of your primary agendas? So, yeah, um, there's that. Um uh, Obviously, the policies were not enforced and were um, taken off the books. And then Biden comes in and he's got two years to implement this policy to prevent something like this from happening re repeatedly now. How, what are we at? Like four new uh, derailments in the last two weeks um, from train cars. So, yeah. Um, but for some reason, even though Biden had two years to, again, make a correction, do something to prevent this, it falls back on Trump, which makes no sense. Again, double standards. It's funny. Trump will get blamed for things that he's no longer in charge of. He's not in power. Are they trying to acknowledge the fact that Biden's not in power right now? That really it's just an uh, overlap of like the Trump administration like, this guy is so incompetent that technically everything Trump did beforehand is still still policy. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Not okay for the sailor to text a picture, but okay to let the CCP take all the pictures and data gathering that they want. That is true. Um, the only thing I can give uh, our current administration credit for is the raid on a CCP police station in New York City. That's right. The CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, had this police force in New York City trying to impose Chinese law on U.S. soil. 
Um, they did raid it. I think that it was just removed. Like, I don't know what exactly happened to the people who were working there. Um, but yeah, the CCP, you know, they, they have this issue with uh, flying balloons over the United States, especially over sensitive nuclear zones. Uh, let's also keep in mind that China now has more intercontinental ballistic missiles than the U.S. And ours are 40, 50 years old. Like, how many of these, if we press the button, are just going to, like, nothing. Um, and let them buy all the farmland that they can afford, except in the state of, unfortunately, I want to say it was Ohio. I think Ohio made it illegal for foreign entities and companies to own land in their state. And I think there's a few other states that are uh, joining the bandwagon on that. Um, yeah, I, I seriously have an issue with foreign companies coming in, um, uh, buying land in the United States, especially when it's something like, uh, farmland. Uh, I am not okay with that at all. Um, good for Ohio. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think many people want to buy the land there now, uh, at least in the, um, what, the southern east area? <laughs> uh, I don't see that being very profitable uh, these days. Um, still waiting for the picture of the three-eyed fish to come out. Um, yeah, it's a horrible situation. Um, so, yeah, double standards definitely exist. Um, you know, if, if something like East... Palestine happened during the previous administration, everybody would be attacking Trump right now. Uh, it is a terrible thing for those folks, yes. Um, and the thing is, he he's already... See, and it took Trump to reverse certain policies. It was announced on Twitter that Trump was going to visit East Palestine, Ohio. An hour later, an hour FEMA reversed their decision to help the people of East Palestine. Um, it just, uh, it, it's sad to know that the previous administration has to set policy for the people who are currently in charge. And uh, the only reason I can think that they actually reversed that decision is because it was going to be a great photo op for Trump to go there and say, you guys are great. This is an amazing town. I don't like what they did here. You know, if I was president, you'd already have checks written. Uh, Norfolk Southern, they'd be sued. They'd be sued into oblivion. They would have so many financial penalties, they would never recover. This would never happen again. I would make sure it would never, ever happen again. Because I'm amazing. So, yeah. Um, he would definitely have a huge photo op there. Uh, granted, the mainstream media wouldn't cover it, obviously, because it'd make him look good. But then you would have uh, independent media, you'd have uh, TikTok. <laughs> Everybody else would be covering this thing. Uh, it'd be everywhere. So it only it would only make him look good. So of course, FEMA had to reverse their policy and say, "Oh, we're we're definitely going to show up, uh, even though we only." cover uh natural disasters bullshit bullshit you guys went to katrina 
Remember the ship floating in the water in Katrina? What's, that was all just a natural disaster? I think not. Uh, Danny would be a hero again. Yes, he would. Um, it's just um, amazing as to what is happening these days. It's... Uh, I look at this year... Um, I don't know if China's finally just going to uh, pull the trigger on going into uh, Taiwan. Uh, obviously, Ukraine is looking at some type of big offensive uh, towards Russia. Where we, not only are we handing over HIMARS to Ukraine, but we're also directing where those those missiles hit. Uh, they have the capability of firing into Russia. So this isn't just Russian forces in Ukraine. This is uh, attacking actual uh, Russia itself. Intentional sleeping at the wheel. Um, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think Biden is there so that other people can run things, but the amount of incompetence of the, the people who are running things under him is just, it's crazy. Where is, where's Pete? Where's Pete Buttigieg? Um, on all this, uh, where's Kamala? Like Kamala, they finally like dusted her off and pulled her out of the closet to make a statement. Um, of course it was about Russia and it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, yeah. So there's, there's all these people who are not qualified hired for the absolutely wrong reasons to be in these positions. And, um, of course, everything is falling apart. Uh, I could just drive around here and show you like what some of these uh, uh, train bridges around here that are still in use, uh, what they look like. Like you think this uh, derailment because of a brake system is bad? Wait until one of these cars loaded heavily with chemicals goes over a bridge that just finally gives out. Because these things were constructed back in the 1930s um, under the New Deal. Um, just wait until that happens. Because there's some parts of 131 here where you've got a, a train bridge going over the highway. And you're looking up and you're like, why are there several huge chunks of that thing missing? Yeah, imagine that happening on a major highway blocking off the highway, chemical spill. Um, it's, uh, yeah, the, this is just the start. Um, the fact that they haven't invested in actual uh, infrastructure uh, in any serious way for such a long period of time, yes, I know that there was the, the Obama uh, stimulation package uh, where he did a bunch of one-time projects. Um, I do know that there were some things that were fixed here and there, but seriously, like our, our infrastructure is reaching what a hundred years old. And a lot of this stuff is just literally falling apart. Uh, it's, it's insane. So, anyways, um, I think that's about it for me today. This is uh, over an hour now. Covered all the stories that I wanted to cover. It's been a nice chat. I'm so thankful for the people in the, uh, the chat room um, asking questions, making comments. Um, 
This is now where I say, if you like my content, like and subscribe. <laughs> I am trying to get the numbers up there. I want to do more stuff like this in the future um, on a regular basis. And um, anyways, there's also the, the podcast version of this uh, that is available via Spotify and other outlets. And uh, any articles I talk about, you can find at the collapseexperiment.com. Yep, exactly. Keep on typing.